Welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. Okay, so our scripture for this morning, on this Easter morning, is John chapter 20, verses 1 to 31. As you know, we've been going through the Gospel of John all the way since August, and now we get to this wonderful, glorious chapter that talks of his resurrection. Let me read how it happened here, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 20. It says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started running for the tomb. Both were running, and the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived, and he went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linens. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels dressed in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing right there. But she didn't realize that it was him. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go get him. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, don't hold yet on to me, for I have yet to return to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to the Father, to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the good news. I've seen the Lord. And she told them the things that he had said to her. On that evening of the first day, when the disciples were all together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive them their sins, you'll be forgiven. And and if you do not forgive, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told them, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I won't believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said again, peace be with you. Then he said, write to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. 
Then Jesus told him, Because you've seen me, you believe. But blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. Before I get into the message for today, I would wonder if wherever you are, there may be in your living room, your, your bedroom, or whatever it is that you're watching this, if you would just sing with me the first verse of Because He Lives, if you know that. Sing along with me. God sent His Son. They called Him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He bled and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Everything changed on that one day. For three years, Jesus had taught in the streets and the hillsides of Judea. He healed people with every disease. He did miracles and signs that proved exactly who he was. The disciples and the crowds that came out to see him, they fell in love with him. They saw the truth of him. Not everyone did, but many did. Like Peter and James and John and Mary Magdalene and Nicodemus and Zacchaeus and Mary and Martha and Lazarus and the list goes on. But now, after three years, his hour had come. At his birth, the angel said to Joseph, you are to call him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. This is why he came. And Jesus knew it. Jesus told his disciples that his hour had come, that they were going to go to Jerusalem and that he would be arrested and crucified and buried. But on the third day, he would rise again. He told his disciples this three different times, but they didn't understand, not until afterwards. But sure enough, just as he said, after the Last Supper in the Garden of Gethsemane, one of his own disciples, Judas, comes with a detachment of soldiers and torches and, and swords, and they take our Lord away. And he stands before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, and they try to come up with false evidence to accuse him. But in the end, it all comes down to one question. The high priest Caiaphas asked Jesus, Are you the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when Jesus said, yes, I am, that was it. Caiaphas tore his robe and he shouted out, blasphemy, this man must die. And over all the high priests and the Pharisees, they agreed and they began to spit on Jesus's face and strike him with their fists over and over again. 
they did not believe he was the one who was sent for them, the one who came to save them. And so they bound Jesus and they took him to Pilate, the Roman governor, and Pilate listened to their argument and he himself questioned Jesus, but he could find no basis for charge against him. But the crowds were relentless. They would not quit. Even after 40 lashes, Jesus' body beaten and bloody before them, still they continued to yell, crucify. And so Pilate finally washed his hands of all of it. And he sentenced Jesus to death. With a crown of thorns forced upon his head and a purple robe put on him to mock him, the Savior picked up his cross and he carried it to Golgotha a hill just outside the east gate of Jerusalem. Golgotha means the place of the skull. And once there, they stripped him of his robe and they laid him on the cross and they drove nails through his hands and one through his feet. And with a criminal to his right and another to his left, Jesus hung on that cross. They mocked him as he hung there. They said he saved others, but he cannot save himself. But they did not know what he was doing. They could not see it. Have you ever done something for someone that you loved? And maybe it was a child. And oh, how they hated you for it at the time. But you knew what was best for them. But they could not see it. And so they would call you names. Or they would fight you. But you endured it all. Because you loved them. And you knew what was best for them. Well, this was Jesus. They hated him, but he was on that cross for them. He even prayed for them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If they had only understood the scriptures, for it was written right there. In the Old Testament in Isaiah 53, it says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The cross was not just a horrible thing that happened to Jesus. It was where he himself would lay down his life for them. This must be completely understood. For Jesus was not a martyr. He was and is our Savior. And this is how he would save us from our sins. John put it this way in 1 John 4. He said, this is how God showed his love to us. He sent his son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Atoning. That word means that Jesus had to die in our place so that we might live. Jesus took my place on that cross. He wasn't just killed. He was the Son of God. He could have stopped the whole madness in any moment. He could have called down a legion of angels to wipe out the Roman army. He could have come down from that cross in front of them all. But he didn't because he loved you. He stayed on that cross because he loved you. He hung on that old wooden cross because he loved you. And he knew that was the way you could be with him forever. This is the amazing love of God. 
The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans 5.8. He said, God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 3 says, For there is not one who is righteous, not even one, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we've been given a righteousness from God that comes now through faith in Jesus Christ for all who will believe. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You just have to receive it. You just got to believe in him. Admit your sin and accept his grace. On that cross, Jesus took my death away. On that cross, every one of my sins was paid in full. My debt erased. On that cross, everything that was broken in me, including my relationship with God, was healed. I mean, how could I have ever repaid him? I couldn't. And so he did. And all we can do is say thank you. And to give our life and to try to live in the grace and mercy of him every day. And show it to others and get to know him better through his word and prayer and through his spirit living inside of us. There is nothing else that is required. Nothing left for me to do to earn my way to heaven. Just to believe in him and cling to that old rugged cross. And I do. And I'll tell you, the older I get, the more I see the ugly in me. The more I realize my sinful nature and how he is my only hope. His mercy saved me and you too. I am a preacher and I know the word, but I am... I am stumped at why God would love me in this world. Why would he care? Why would he go to this extreme to take on human flesh and be rejected like this and then go to a cross for all of us? I don't understand the mystery of God or his compassion. You know, I mean, I, I have kids and I guess I would go anywhere and do anything for them that might help them. And so I wonder, is this how God, our Father, feels about you and me? Does he have this emotion for us? It, it does say within his word that he is love and that he loves us. And so I guess I hear in all of this upon the cross that how much he loves us. 1 John 3, 1 says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we might be called children of God. And that is what we are. Well, after Jesus died on that cross, the Bible tells us in John 19 that Jesus' mother and Mary Magdalene and John the disciple, they all took Jesus' body down from that cross. And there was a believer by the name of Joseph of Arimathea who was a rich man, and, and he asked Pilate for Jesus' body because he had a tomb nearby in a garden, and it had just been cut, and no one had been laid in it yet, and, and he wanted to give it for Jesus. And so they wrapped Jesus' body in linens, and they put him in that tomb, which was in that garden, and they rolled a massive stone in, in front of the entrance, and Pilate put two Roman guards out front so that no one would try to steal the body. And that was Friday evening. 
the rest of Friday and all of Saturday and into Sunday, nothing. The followers of Jesus were just in shock and sadness. The disciples were in the upper room, it tells us, with the doors locked for fear of Jews coming to, to get them next. People started coming home, you know, going home after Passover, just defeated, thinking that Jesus was the Messiah. They waved their palm branches, but now this. And so they're rethinking, they're thinking this. They must have been wrong because if he had really been the Messiah and the Lord, this wouldn't have happened. This is how it, the feeling is for most people there on early Sunday morning. But then on the first day of that week, and I love that line which begins chapter 20, on the first day of the week, how many of God's miracles happen, you, you know, when everyone thought it was all over? Think about Abraham and Sarah after 25 years of waiting for a child. Think about Moses and the Israelites, 400 years of slavery, and, and then they finally are let go, only to have Pharaoh chase them still down to the Red Sea, and it looks like they're going to be captured again, only for the Lord in the last moment to part that sea so they could walk through on dry ground. Think about David and Goliath. I mean, all the army of Israel defeated in the trenches until David, this boy, shows up with faith in a slingshot. They never saw it coming. Think about all the miracles that happened throughout the Old and the New Testament when everybody thought that it was all over. So many times in our lives we go through things. And it's Friday or Saturday. And, but don't give up on the Lord. Put your faith in Him because Sunday is coming. Early in the morning, on the first day of the week, Mary, a follower of Jesus and somebody that Jesus had healed, she goes to the tomb. She's the first one. Early in the Sunday morning when it's still dark, it says, when the, before the sun begins to rise. And, and we know that she goes to that tomb to anoint Jesus' body with oils and perfumes, which was their custom. But when she gets to the tomb, she discovers the stone has been rolled away. And Jesus' body was not inside. Now, in her human understanding, all she can think is that someone stole the dead body. Somebody who maybe didn't like Jesus took him away maybe in the night. And, and so she goes and she runs and she tells the disciples. And they are hidden away in the upper room. She knocks at the door and Peter answers and she says, They've taken our Lord away and I don't know where they have put him. Now, Peter was a good man. He was the first to confess Christ and the only one of the twelve to get out of the boat and walk on the water. I mean, he loved the Lord and he had faith. And so at Mary's word, he was willing to come out of hiding. And he and another disciple whom we know was John ran to the tomb. Now, a funny little note, it says that they both ran but the other disciple outran Peter and got there first. <laughs> that other disciple is John, the one who wrote the book that, that we've been reading. And, and he had to just mention he beat Peter to the tomb. But John is telling us that when he got there, he looked in for himself. And he saw the tomb was empty. 
and he saw the strips of linen lying there without Jesus. He saw it himself. John is telling us who are reading his book that, that I didn't just hear about this. I went and I looked into the tomb myself and I examined it and I, I saw the evidence. I, I saw the linens that had been wrapped around Jesus' body left there. The scripture then tells us that Peter, when he got to the tomb, he went straight in. He didn't just look from the outside. He went right in and, and he saw the same thing, including the face cloth that had been around Jesus' head. It had now been folded and laying separately there on the bench. John is giving us the evidence of the resurrection. This was no grave robbery. No one would have gotten past the soldiers. Or if they would have rushed in to steal the body, they wouldn't have taken the time to unwrap the clothes or to leave folded inside. These are all clues to John, you see. The scripture says that both Peter and John saw and believed, still not understanding yet that Jesus had to rise from the dead, but they believed they had just recently seen Lazarus rise from the dead after four days. And Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And so they began believing in him even before seeing him. They're filled with hope. They run back to the upper room to tell the others while Mary stays behind. It appears in our scripture that she doesn't seem to believe yet. She's still sad and confused to everything that has happened. And we read that she looks herself into the tomb and, and she sees two angels dressed in white seated where Jesus' body had been. Now we see angels in the Bible many different times. We see an angel come to Mary, the mother of Jesus, to tell her she's going to be with child. We see more angels come at the birth of Jesus, telling the shepherds that a Savior has been born for them and they'll find him lying in a manger. Now we see angels again at the resurrection, telling Mary not to worry, he is alive. In Luke 24, the angel says, why do you look for the living among the dead? Jesus isn't here. He is risen, just as he said. Angels in the Bible, you see, are most of the time heavenly messengers sent by God to connect the dots for people who can't see what's happening right in front of them. Mary knows something's going on, but she can't see it. Now, after the angels speak to her, she hears something in the garden. She turns around and somebody is there, but she can't make out who it is. Perhaps it's still early in the morning and dark, and so she can't see, but there's a man in the distance, and she thinks it's the gardener. He speaks and says, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? And she says, please, if you've taken my Lord away, just tell me where you've put him that I might go to him. And in that moment, Jesus reveals himself, he speaks her name, he says, Mary. And when Jesus calls her name, she can suddenly see him. Her eyes are open. She came to that garden looking for a dead body. Instead, she found the risen Lord. And at the sound of his voice, she cries, Rabboni, which means teacher, and she runs to him. And then later, she runs to the disciples to tell them that she has seen the Lord. But they don't have to wait much longer because it says later that first day, the disciples are there in the upper room behind locked doors when we read that suddenly Jesus came and stood among them. And he isn't a ghost. 
The Bible makes that clear by telling us that Jesus spoke and he said, peace be with you. And then he showed him his hands and side where the nail and spear went through. And in Luke 24, it even tells us Jesus asked for something to eat because he was hungry. And so they bring him fish and bread, again, proving he is alive, not just a vision or a hallucination. They all saw him physically. He was there. And this is important for our faith, our Christian faith hinges on the resurrection. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that this is the gospel which saves, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and the rest and over 500 in all. And Paul said that if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is useless and so is our faith. For it would mean that we would be still in our sins and there would be no hope, no life beyond the grave. But he says, praise be to God, this isn't true. For 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, indeed Christ has been raised from the dead, the first of all who have fallen asleep. For since death came through one man, Adam, so too the resurrection from one, Christ. The Bible says death has now been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Thanks be to God who has given us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. For the disciples and those early believers, you see, the resurrection proved Jesus was the Son of God and the Messiah and that our sins are forgiven and we do have eternal life. We will be risen just as he, the resurrection, proved Jesus When Jesus appeared to his disciples, his first words were, peace be with you. So important. The word peace means calm, harmony, well-being. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, 27, peace I will leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives, so do not let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. Peace is a, a form of greeting, but is also a state of peace mentioned here that Jesus brought by his saving work for us on that cross. We have been delivered from sin and its consequences. We have been reconciled now to God. We have peace with God. Everything that once separated you from God has been removed. All your sins and all your shame. Think about how important that was for, or would have been for Peter to hear those words. I mean, he had just denied the Lord three times. But at the first sight of Jesus, the Lord doesn't even bring it up, doesn't call down wrath, doesn't condemn him for what he did, doesn't hold it against and said, he says to him, peace be with you. All of your sins nailed to the cross. You are forgiven, even of your biggest regrets. And then Jesus immediately tells them, it's not over. For as the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. And Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, don't just keep what you have seen and heard to yourself. You go and tell it to the world. Now, one disciple was not with the others, and that was Thomas. Thomas wasn't there to see Jesus. So when his brothers tell him that Jesus is alive, he doesn't believe it. He says, unless I put my finger where the nails were, I won't believe it. And I'm glad this story is in the Bible, uh, that there is a doubting Thomas, because he is so real. 
And he reminds us of how hard it is to believe in something like the resurrection. I mean, Thomas was a disciple, a disciple who had been with Jesus for the last three years. He had seen all of the miracles, yet even he has trouble believing this. I mean, even from his own friends. But I am glad this story is in the Bible. Because maybe for a while we were the doubting Thomas. Maybe in our past we were the ones who had had trouble believing at first. Maybe we didn't think there was a God or that the Bible was true or that Jesus was more than a man. Maybe we used to think Christians were dead wrong. And maybe it wasn't until the Lord personally came and made himself known to our heart that we now ourselves see and believe. You see, even faith is a gift from God. Or maybe we have loved ones and we're praying for them right now. Maybe even our own kids and despite all our efforts and words where we have tried, just like the disciples, to convince them Jesus is real, they are now like Thomas and, and how we pray for them. That's why it's so good that this story is in the Bible and connected to Easter because it gives us hope. You know, for just as Jesus came to Thomas, he appears to us in his time. Not in the same way. For Thomas, you know, it was in person before the Lord had ascended to heaven. But for us, he comes in a different way. He comes through his spirit, comes into our heart, speaks to us through the word. But he does come and make himself known. To Thomas, Jesus says, put your finger in my hand and reach out and touch my side. Stop doubting and believe. And all Thomas can say is, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus tells him, you believe because you see me, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Jesus was talking here about physically seeing and how only 500 people were going to be able to physically see him risen before he would ascend into heaven, about 500 and so think about that. That means that of the millions and uh, even billion people since who call themselves Christians from every tribe and nation, those who have come to believe and put their hope and faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and eternal life, all of them, including you and me, have not seen the risen Lord. None of us have, not yet. One day we will, but we have not physically seen him yet. And yet we stand here, we sit here, convinced of him people of every language and nation around the world today isn't that some type of miracle proof somehow even though we don't see him we've been given faith to know him and the truth of him we feel it strong in our hearts we follow the evidence we believe in the testimony of those written it down we see god at work in our world in our hearts and our family we feel his presence in our loneliness and struggles we've come to trust in him with our lives and walk with him every day we have faith in what we cannot see and jesus said blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe Peter says it so perfectly in 1 Peter 1. He says, though you've not seen him, you love him. <laughs> though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He says, praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy has given us this new birth and this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. God has given us this great gift of faith 
and hope and love. The love of God that lives in our hearts because of Jesus in him. You believe and are saved. It is a blessing, this faith. My life has been so blessed. I am so thankful, even in the difficult days, because I know him. I know God. He lives in me. His love fills my heart. It is real. His hope comes in the middle of every storm I got to face. For I know he is with me and nothing is impossible with him. His forgiveness covers my sins. I live each day in the grace of God that I am forgiven. I have that deep sense of purpose and meaning to my life. That mission and that future to look forward to in heaven. I know where I am going because of Jesus. This past year when Carolyn Babcock got sick and within a week ended up in the ICU and and I went to see her and I went to pray with her this woman who had been so quiet been faithfully sitting beside her husband in church every week quilting with the ladies on Monday and well she would take my hand at the door when she would leave church each week and and she would say good job pastor this this faithful woman this mother this wife this servant of God had been in our church the Sunday before, now facing death. And when I went to pray for her, she took my hand, she looked into my eyes, and you could see it, the gift of faith. And she said, Pastor, I'm not afraid. I have peace. She thanked the Lord for the cross, and she looked forward to the resurrection. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. Sunday. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church's information and events, head to bccwaverly.org.